I'm walking down Main Street, Park City. It's a beautiful, quaint, oldie-worldie street, home of the Sundowns Film Festival. The festival was earlier this year, which is in the January, February, but there's still quite a bit going on. There's quite a lot of people around. Going to meet Crash. We are going to the very fancy Regis Resort at Deer Valley. Uh, we were out snowboarding and skiing yesterday, so hopefully I'm going to meet him there and he's going to uh, give me a bit of insight of what he's been doing recently in the colouring world and also what he's been doing over the past 30 years. Ready to have some fun? If you look inside, you can see every possible colour. So there's always been no snowboarders here? Yeah, Deer Valley is one of the only, Alta and Deer Valley are the only... Just never brought them in. Never, yeah, never, had, never had some words here. It's full on dancing on the table stuff. It's yeah. a very Hollywoody. Yeah, it thing. is. It's fun though, you know, like... Here we are. We are on this pretty nice resort here in Park City. Deer Valley Resort and we've got a beautiful view across the slopes there's a fire burning and uh, I'm with uh, Crash Colucci. How are you Crash? Yeah good. Cheers. Good on you. Cheers. Right. Now man this right is uh, this is a great spot so this is you don't live far from here no? No I don't live far from here. I don't get here that much but uh, I ski here a bit. This is uh, a nice place to have a cocktail at the end of the day and watch the slopes. And this is, uh, obviously we're trying to get you a few snaps, but there's a few beautiful people here hanging out. There's some tunes in the background. This is Apre Ski, uh, US style, but it's it's great. You started out as a skier, didn't you? Yeah. But that was, you grew up, well, you grew up East Coast. East Coast, US, yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I, I started skiing in upstate New York. Did pretty well by chance. My parents were ski instructors and uh, we skied every weekend. My sister and I, <clears throat> we started racing. I remember my mom asked me to, to try racing one weekend and I, I think I remember crying at six or seven years old going, no, I don't want to do it. <clears throat> and then in the first year of my racing in second grade, I, I won a trophy in the NASTAR competition that was like big as me. It stood about 20, 30, 28 inches high and I, you know, I was six years or seven years old or something. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's how I got started in the skiing. And, um, and then as I skied, uh, I went to Academy in Vermont at Stratton Mountain School, and uh, and then I traveled with the uh, ski team a bit. And when I traveled, I took a lot of photographs, and that's, I mean, the photography thing has really kind of got me into the job that I have today. But So I traveled around Europe uh, and the United States and taking a lot of photos and, and just, you know, with the film camera. And how far were you off, like, making the Olympics? How good were you? I, I wasn't, I mean, I was in the top ten of my group. I mean, uh, as a junior one, I won the national championship slalms in yeah. Big Sky, Mont Montana. So yeah. I was 18, so wow. I was close. We went up yesterday. How, how did I do? for an old fella on the slopes. Really terrible, I gotta tell you. You need a lesson or two. It was probably the worst <laughs> snow day for you ever, wasn't it, waiting? Warren was amazing. I have videos, so you can check it out on the website. He did awesome, awesome. I, I was worried when he stumbled a little bit, but you know, all of our knees are pretty rough, mine too, so. Uh, but he strapped that board on and you were ripping, dude. So it was a, it was a rough day. It okay, was, so you know, it's an absolutely cool place to live. I love it. but. What do you do for work? You're a colorist, you've got your own bay in your house that I've seen and checked out. 
What's the work like? You got getting local work here? Is there any? There's been a little bit of local work, but not uh, not that much. Not enough that's coming to me. My, my clients are still kind of. I think we spoke a couple of years ago. It's it's from the past or people that I've you know kept in contact with or have relationships. Uh, there's a time where uh, I had done a couple jobs out of Australia where I came back to the U.S. And um, I haven't done an Italian job, which I'd like to do, but because uh, it was amazing working there. But uh, so most of the clients are from uh, U.S., uh, West Coast, or East Coast. I do Sunday Night Football every year for uh, with Carrie Underwood for NBC Sports, and, and I did the Super Bowl Open with uh, Halle Berry. Yeah. So those are those are a long-standing client. But that was a DP that I did music videos in the '90s with. Wow. So uh, yeah, so it's it's been amazing. Keeping those contacts and, and, and making that uh, making that work. Chuck Ozeas is a DP, and um, uh, he's still working stuff, doing TV, he's doing Netflix shows, uh, and we just did a ton of music videos in the '90s. So those contacts are good, and and just different clients in and around LA that I've had along the way, and also just trying to shuffle it. You meet producers, and they go from one company to the next, and they call you back, and then you know, so you kind of get the verse that way. Which is good when they move from in the commercial world. And tell me what you got in your bay. What what kit have you got in there? I've got a Resolve on every platform. I think there's Linux, uh, there's a Mac, and there's a, a PC, a Hackintosh PC, uh, an advanced panel like a Gen One. It's got a lot of miles on it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's all worn up from watch scraping and uh, a, yeah. lot of, a bit of use. So Mac One, uh, PC, Linux, and then uh, for monitoring, I've got an Asus. It's the, uh, the UCX, um, and then a couple uh, uh, HP monitors are on the side for, uh, for the GUI work. And then I've got this old vintage Panasonic that uh, is the, like it's the PBH or PB50, yeah. which is, uh, has SDI in that everybody had. Um, I did. And that's a really, it's, it, the blacks are just amazing. They look really great. And then I've got an, actually an LG that I've been using for a client monitor just to check all the stuff I'm doing when I'm with my clients in LA. So, and I have a, uh, a room in LA too. So let's let's so jump right back. So you came out of skiing and you realized, oh, you weren't going to make that. You like your photos. How did you, what was your journey to get to your being a colorist in <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, well, I went, I went to ski race at Colorado and I went to RIT film school. And uh, which was great, uh, pretty techy, but uh, a lot you get to learn all the gear and stuff. And after that, I thought, oh, I wanted to be a director, and I knew how to shoot 16 and uh, like editing on flatbeds. Started at a place called Charlex, it's sort of still around as an assistant, and then uh, okay, started doing graphics and rotoing. And then I got a job over at Tape House in New York with uh, John Dowdell, who was amazing. John was perceived as like one of the top colorist in the world then wasn't he from from my point of view from working in London yeah. that must have been a, a pretty cool place to work did you you get to us were you assisting him and learning from him and was he pretty open in sharing stuff with you or? John Dowdell it was amazing as a teacher for everybody he probably has the longest list of, of people that has worked for him I would imagine uh, at Tape House everybody had to work through John before or assist John before you could become a colorist at Tape House so uh, I came on in the nighttime assisting somebody and then eventually got a daytime assisting job uh, with JD and uh, people like Tim Masick uh, yeah. has, had worked for JD who's a great amazing colorist in New York, Rob Sharada, another classmate we all had gone to RIT together um, and John was just you know he was thinking about 
using the Pandora in 1992 to grade feature films. Wow, okay. It was really great, and I assisted him before I could become a night colorist. Yeah, man, I just stopped you. There's a guy walked past in like a ski suit with looked like nothing underneath. Did you see him going by? No, like he's I got didn't. like done to the waist, undone to the waist. Oh yeah. Full length, like European 90s, 80s ski suit. Well, there's <laughs> some characters in here. I, I isn't believe there? you. They're, they're all coming out today. I'm sure they will be. So this is the last <laughs> yeah. but one day you have the season. Yeah. Well, tomorrow's last season here, but today is the last, last day, day of, of the vintage room. Vintage room, right? Which are the last day of the 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 white tent. Yeah. The white tent at uh, St. Regis Park City, and it's going off. It's going all on. kinds of characters coming in. Explain to the, the younger people who are listening, what is a night colorist? Because a lot of people now, you know, don't really think about utilizing and working at nights. Yeah. What, what was that? What did that involve? In 92, the tech was really high-end and really expensive and few and far between. So you worked multiple shifts. Um, it was really uh, an um, apprenticeship which it lasted for quite a while, I would say, until digital, where you learned from someone like John Dowdell that gave you, and he was a great teacher and you know, pointed out stuff, took his time after hours and after work to you know, get, you, get you through if you have any questions. In the nighttime, you were working, doing music videos like every night. We had three rooms going that were, you know, two or three rooms were doing music videos at night, but there was commercials during the day and uh, music videos at night. And there wasn't an overnight shift at that point, I don't think. We, we did, it was very high-end commercials. The West Coast is dailies and the East Coast is commercials. So one of the stories I had as, as an assistant is that when you, you talk about John, he had, we got one of the first Ursus, Chicago got one, and uh, which was a digital, was scanning the image digitally. And not long after they got that worked out with Pandora to color it, they brought the uh, Kennedy Zapruder film into, into, into the tape house. Wow. And so they were able to sort of not scan, but record the Kennedy assassination onto D1 tape uh, from this Super 8 footage that was scored, that hadn't been really put on a telecine before in a digital format, and then they were able to run the timing through time code, and they wow. printed on every frame what was going on. They could blow it up instead yeah. of stopping the film frame, blow it up so they could look at it that I, way. Imagine the pressure on loading that up and making sure you didn't have that lace wrong. Oh, we're scratching <laughs> the Kennedy assassination. I think it was double and triple check before wow. we actually got it going, you know, to make sure it played forward right. I mean, I, it wasn't, it was pretty standard policy, but I, I know sat there and watched the reel go around to make sure there wasn't, I mean, you could splice it back, I suppose, but we didn't want to break it back then. What happened after that? You got itchy feet and thought, oh, did someone come knocking? What happened? <laughs> so funny. I did get itchy feet. Uh, I was working the night shift and, and guys moved up and you weren't going to get a day slot uh, <laughs> until someone moved away. And, you know, there was a good, good solid Rob Shaw that moved in during the day. Um, and there wasn't really anything going on to move up, and there was three rooms, so I figured it would take me a while. <clears throat> and at the time, we only had Pandoras. We had um, Amigos that were joystick-driven first, and then we installed the Pandoras all the way across, and they were amazing, but I didn't know anything else. And I can't think of the shop I went to, but somebody had a, a Da Vinci, um, and, and I... You know, I asked to go over there to, to learn on the Da Vinci, and they let me come over it in the nighttime to learn Da Vinci because I thought, figured if I had to go somewhere else, I'd, I'd be on one. Yeah. <clears throat> so from there, I actually actually got an offer in Florida. Um, I went down to Florida and did a couple music videos, and they made me an offer, and I went down there, and 
I decided that I didn't like Florida. <laughs> and when I had gone to school in Colorado, I'd visit California a bit with my friends. And I said, I'm gonna go to California without a job. And my parents were not happy. And so uh, I left without, the, I didn't take the job offer in Florida and I went to California <clears throat> without a job and uh, stayed with a friend, <clears throat> moved around and found a, uh, there, was a, there was a night position at PhotoCamp. Then I moved on to, I got a job at Hollywood Digital working nights, doing music videos at night. Bob yeah. Fester, who has yeah. been on this podcast, check it out if you haven't listened to it. You were saying like Bob moved, that created a gap create a salary, yeah. he moved on, so that's how it worked? You know, he was the best guy in town, for sure, for years, yeah. and uh, the name to know. And he would, I don't know how long his contracts were, but it seemed like he had two years, maybe at Editel, and then he had two years at Hollywood Digital, then I don't think, not that he went to Post Logic, but he, you know, he was moving around, I don't know where the shop of his resume list was, but as he moved, it opened a gate for someone else to slide in. But he was setting a salary and everybody was like, wow, did you hear Bob got this job there? Oh, there. And then it was kind of a shuffle to try to, who would, you know, who would, it was like moving cards or, you know, trying to find out. And a, we're a talking good salary with a cut of the room, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't remember a cut of the room at the time. I mean, right. oh, again, this is 98. Got, okay. Maybe pre. The cut of the room thing kind of happened. For me, it was in the POP days or in 2000 when yeah. people were, uh, when it got really consolidated where they're starting to give a percentage. Before it was, I don't know what it was, let's say two, $200,000, $300,000, some Three, big number yeah, yeah. That in that time as a colorist. Oh, yeah. Wait on these? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah lovely. Partners. Thank you. That's us. Yeah, cool. Thank you. I ended up at POP. Right. And that was pretty, things were happening at POP at that time, uh, 96 maybe. Uh, we had the, they had the whole building, which had an atrium in the middle. People would have they served dinner and lunch there at that facility for all, all the employees and the clients. And you would see your next client having lunch or the last client, and it was a real social, interacting, uh, great way to network right at the company because people yeah. would be in and they'd be doing editorial with somebody else or sound was because they had the whole facility there, sound editorial graphics. And I freelanced again. I actually went to Taiwan and trained somebody how to use a TLC Yeah, with my engineer from, from POP and put a URSA in and they didn't know how to use the time code recording on time. So I trained a couple colorists there yeah. and I was in Mexico City for a while for a month. Some, some guys walked out of 625 and started a company and I covered down there. And then after that I ended up at Digital Magic. Uh, staff for a while, right, right around the the writer strike, one of the yeah. writer strikes, and then uh, in 2000, two thousand, uh, I ended up at uh, Riot for seven years. So that was a long run. Yeah. So again, if you listen to a previous one, Bob Fester, Clark Muller worked at Riot, and uh, that was like the peak of the powers then, wasn't it? Of good work, good money, comfy good. cars, good gear. Yeah. It was a good place to work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the ride days were good. I mean, every room was a you know, million and a half. They had the latest Da Vinci spirits were a million bucks a pop. Uh, everybody was working two, three shifts a day. It was busy. And there was, yeah, there was the, the money was good too, because yeah. <laughs> it was still film and you got paid hourly. It was good. Yeah. And there were seven rooms. We had seven rooms there, I think. Wow. Seven, I think. Yep. Each yeah. room running an assistant on each bay. Yep. Which I miss having an assistant, but yeah, everybody had an assistant day and night. Uh, Scott Klein was doing 
kind of doing tape to tape, but he was doing, uh, he might have been doing Deadwood. Uh, I don't know if he was doing Sopranos. He was doing a lot of uh, higher end HDR, or not HDR, but HD high def at the time, of course, uh, tape to tape work. And then there was, I guess there was one, two, three, four, six rooms. So, so Stefan Sonnenfeld didn't work there, did he? Not at he Riot. He was only Company 3. Yeah, and P.O.P. when I was at, at P.O.P. similar time, Company 3 would have, st would have been going then against... Yeah, that's right. Right, so uh, he'd left P.O.P. I don't know what years, but we, we worked together at P.O.P. And then Company 3 started. Actually, they were in a temporary building in Lantana uh, when I was at Digital Magic in 99. And they stayed there for a while. So when I went over to Riot in 2000, it was Company 3 versus yeah. Riot all the yeah. time kind of thing. And it's true you got to drive his car. <laughs> no, he told me to go down the street and try out the car really? at the Porsche what? dealership. I had a Ferrari Mondial, right, silver okay. one. Yeah. And uh, they took it out for, yeah, like half an hour one night. And when we, were, we were working together at the same time. And I don't know, spun around the block, came back in. Oh, thanks for Riot. Yeah, cool. So um, I gave him a little bit of a couple days. Then I had a slow night the next week, and I, I asked him if I could take his Porsche for a ride, and he's like, yeah, go up the street and try one out at Porsche. So the car lots back in those days were pretty fancy, weren't they? Really? Clark was rolling his BMW, I think. Oh, or Clark, he'd yeah, uh, sure. have been up there with that. He's a big BMW guy. There was a lot of Porsches, and they seemed to be new every con contract time. <laughs> so whenever the contracts ran up, there was a new car coming out. So it was, yeah, the parking lot was good. So you stayed there seven years. Then what happened then? Uh, then I got a job at FSM in Sydney, Australia. Uh, how, did that, how did that come around? Because a lot of people say to me, how do you work in one place? And I really want to go and work overseas. How does it work? How, does it, how do you even do that? Today, I think it's a little different. Uh, but back then, the, uh, the TIG yeah. that uh, Festa had mentioned, or you guys maybe talked about the TIG yeah. before, there was opportunity. Yeah. Um, I think there was an opportunity uh, from a connection down there because one of my old roommates had worked on arachnophobia and recommended me to some headhunters yeah and that's how they found me so uh, i had an interview uh, i'd never been down there before and uh, i mean that's how it came about it was it was actually through a headhunter that contacted me through a friend but today as a freelancer looking for work all the time um, it's about getting your name out, connecting your producers. I'm not on that much social media. I'm on LinkedIn only for yeah. the most part. But, uh, you know, I think there's new avenues, places that I haven't even uh, uh, looked into that can help the young people. But they probably know that better than I do Yeah. Um, on all those levels. I'm just trying to keep my old contacts and, and, yeah. and do that process. So what was Australia like coming from, uh, from the States, going into Sydney? you enjoy your time there? It was fantastic. Sydney was the best. I love, I totally loved it. It was beautiful and the directors, because they were involved, you spoke the same language, um, you knew what they were talking about. There wasn't, they didn't have to check over my shoulder about the account exec or you know the creative. The account exec doesn't know color, but they represent Crest and they don't like what it looks like. But the creative wants to do it this way. So you're, you know, that part of shuffling is always, the fun part of it because you get to be the mediator and okay we've got to get to this or we've got to get to that so you get to be the middleman you get to figure it all yeah, out with everybody yeah. but in sydney fsm in australia because of the director's interaction with the colorist it just i feel like the creative process and what you get at the end was more collaborative and just more creative usually because they have a vision a creative vision too yeah. that you can communicate on the same level instead of 
the dollar guy in the background or the non-dollar guy in the background. Yeah, so. just to clarify, normally in the States, the director does the shoot and it's gone. That's right, no, gone. nowhere to be found. I None, mean, uh, but yeah, in Australia and I think in other parts of the world as well, director sees the job all the way through. Yeah. And they're always there, so you've uh, you sort of got someone on your side a little bit. Yeah. When you wanted something to do creative, they're there to back you. you yeah. Know, which is nice. Or that's their idea. Yeah. You don't have to fight with the creative um, yeah. clientele as much. So it's, yeah. it's great. Yeah. It's a good experience. Yeah. Now, tell me about that interesting session you had with Steve Rogers down there. Oh. Now, Steve Rogers, for those, was one of the gun directors in Australia around that time. Big campaigns, Qantas, great big ads. And uh, how was that? What happened there? Uh, Qantas had shot a worldwide campaign uh, with Russell Boyd, who, yeah. you know, Master Commander, uh, he won the Oscar for Master Commander as a DP. And we worked together on a few jobs. He came in early, and uh, I was my first time on a base light. I loved it. it to me, it was immediate impact. Like, I, yeah. I got it right away. It was so fantastic. There's nuances that I didn't get, but for the, the grading process, I thought it was the most creative yeah. for me. Yeah. And we worked two days ahead of time, and we're like, okay, this looks really great. And they'd shot in Mumbai, in Shanghai, they'd shot uh, in New York, uh, Paris, all over for this massive Qantas 60-second commercial. And we spent two days going back and forth, getting to know each other, and I mean, I was, thought it was amazing. And so then the agency comes in, and director comes in, Steve comes in, and Steve wants to look at the dailies, and Russell's there. We're all there. we're all we're all there together, and so I pop up the dailies, which I wasn't thinking that I needed to do, but there was there was a copy of the daily somewhere, and they weren't what we had done. And he said, "Can you make it look like the dailies?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I showed him some stuff, and we went back and forth, and it's just kind of the juggling act. It's it's do we want to go this far? Oh, we've done this. Everybody has their opinion, and there's so there's agency, there's Steve, there's Russell, myself, and. You know, we didn't at the end of the session get to a final conclusion for Steve. Yeah. I went to talk to the boss and said, hey, um, you know, I just left LA. We do director's versions every on every job because they're not there. One, they're not there and, yeah. and the creative has the call. I said, hey, we can, I can make this happen for, we can just have them come back and make them happy. Yeah. They're like, we don't do that in Sydney. Like the, the director, represents the agency and the creative content it's passed all the way through yeah. which again i respect because it's part of the work that they do they don't want not a rogue but they don't want a director yeah. going to do something different than what they do the other thing about that is that um as of now, now that i remember is that a lot of the commercial campaign in sydney has um at that time had a purpose in that the campaign would start maybe at the theater first, I'm not sure. So you would see a commercial yeah. on a weekend or a movie release. So let's just say this new Qantas campaign was coming yeah. out of the theater. So you would see it there and then you would see it on television and then, yeah. well, not really social media at the time, but then you would see it on a um, poster board campaign or something. So there was, the whole process was very organized, streamlined. It was really great because your work could go across multiple platforms in that, in that time. Um, so I think that was another reason why you know, the agency, they want it to be a cohesive group of color and the content that you're creating. And uh, it was it was different. We ended up splitting the difference, I think, from where we were. Um, I went back and the creative obviously made the final call and uh, it still looks great, but 
it was an experience that yeah. I hadn't had before. Yeah, nice one. <laughs> so that was new in Australia. So you did two years down there, then yeah. where? My wife's like, hey man, I'm gonna go to Europe. I'm like, I don't wanna go to Europe too. Yeah, sure, why not? So I got a call from Rumblefish, or an email back from Rumblefish in Milan, Milano. And I started talking to those guys, and the next thing I know, I'm working on a Da Vinci in, in Milano at a place called Rumblefish. That's and Resolve then, or on 2K? Yeah, it was a Resolve. So all on Resolve yeah, then. Yeah. Right. So, so you yeah. gone from Baselight, so baselight back on the Resolve. Yeah, it was 2K, which was non-linear, then the Baselight Digital, yeah. and then Resolve Digital from, from uh, Sydney to Milan. Yep, and that was a two-year deal there. Um, and that was a you know, learning experience again. You know, it's not... Yeah, you know, just move track of balls and it, it didn't work back then though, did it? It did well, resolve didn't work then, yeah. <laughs> You're giving all the honest answers, aren't you? Well, I, I, I'm not being a bit it did work, but there was a few things that were it did not work. Ideal. It did work. There was a few things that didn't work. So I was I was on the phone a lot with London. Um, in the beginning, but it was version six, so it was a long time ago and uh, <clears throat> It was still said old tech in it, but uh, you know we did some. I mean, the thing about Italy is, or in Europe, you just turn on the camera and you get amazing pictures. Yeah. So that does have to work for you. I mean, again, yeah. it, it's, it's that way around the world a bit. But Europe is the pictures that come out of there are, are, are beautiful. There's no doubt. That was advertising. Yeah, I, my, all my work at that point was all by advertising, commercial yeah. in Sydney. Yeah, all my history was for the most part. Music videos in the 90s and then commercials all the way through. So you did how long there in Milan? Two years in Milan and then randomly FamePost called me, asked for me at the office of Rumblefish while she was she owned FamePost in, yeah, Thailand, in Bangkok, Thailand and yeah, was in, in town. Yeah. And uh, like shopping and looking at schools for her kids. Yes. And they called the office to talk to me. And I'd never, everyone's ever, I don't know how the person, I don't know how she found me. What? I don't even know. Anyway, it was so on the blue. And they said, hey, do you want to meet or whatever and come, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, uh, well, sure, I'll meet you. Why not? I talked to everybody. So we went to the bar and I met them and uh, had a discussion. And then the next thing I know, I'm, I'm working in Bangkok. And your, your wife, she was happy with that? She wasn't necessarily happy to go to Bangkok from Milano, for sure. When she, when she got, came down there, it was different because there's just a lot of culture and photography and history and just beautiful imagery there and places to go and see. They still had a lot of film in 13. The DP said to me, make her look pink. Okay. And it was a girl, I don't know, she was, uh, was I doing a... Rexona, it was a hair care commercial or hair hair product commercial, and they make her look pink. And I thought, pink? Why do I? I've worked around the world, made everybody have a suntan, especially in Los Angeles. Like, yeah, yeah. you don't want to be pink. Yeah. yeah. I have pink skin, it's hard. It just doesn't look good. And, you know, everybody wants to have a golden tan. And I said, why? Why do we take away the gold? She looks fantastic. And they said, in the advertising world, they don't. They don't. The people that work in the fields have a tan. Yes. And they're not city workers, or yes. they're you know they're not business people. They're not that type of um, person. So there, he, he said to me, we we, we, don't, we don't we've got to take the, the suntan out of all, everything that we do. So everything we do. So it's the first time I looked back and thought, obviously I've worked so many different places that the two things. One is the lighting and the culture that changes the look of the color 
Uh, lighting does because of where the sky is, yeah. where the city, like Milan is gray and overcast a lot of the times. Yeah. LA has got the sunny flash. Yeah. Australia tends to be a little brownie. There's a bit of outback yeah. thing. So yeah. it has this kind of, um, kind of brownish feel to some of the stuff. I mean, not in the cities, but there's a, there's a perception of the light that you live in influences what you expect to see in color or how it just influences the capture both digitally yeah. and on film and that helps either helps or hinders your work but it, it gives you a feeling and direction that people are just used to um, so that was and, and it's very poppy in Thailand so a lot of neon and that so that yeah. side of it that, a lot of the work I did was super saturated so anyway that was on a Nukoda, wasn't it? That was on, yeah, that's right. That was on Nukoda. So, yeah, so now I'm calling London again. Nukoda was the most complicated box. It had, it has great tool set, but a lot of buttons to so push. So let me ask you this. How do you, how did you learn it? You'd never been on one, you never sat on it. They give you a job there. Did you get there and had one of the guys show you? Is that how it worked? There was nobody there. In, in Resolve, I had history. Nukoda, I had none, and I sat down. I would see the NAB every year and kind of you know, yeah. get a look at it, but it was fairly new digitally. Um, I'd seen it because Kevin Shaw was involved and I felt yes. like that was a great product because if Kevin was involved, it had to be great. I was there, yeah, just over a year and I was looking to come back to the States and I felt like six years, five, five and a half, six years was a long time to be away from the States to keep clients. Yeah. And, uh, Luckily, um, there was a job at Film Workers in Chicago that had opened up, and uh, either I can't remember if I contacted them. My buddy in New York um, said that he couldn't do it. I think and said, "Hey, why don't you give these guys a call?" And I did. Uh, he was probably working at Company Three, and uh, yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm in Chicago. And that was a part of my wife was like, "Well, I like Bangkok because the weather was warmer." <laughs> yeah, in Chicago the weather was cold, so. Yeah. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, that was a great experience. Back on a base light again, all commercials, ton of yep. commercial work there. Um, it's a it's a big commercial, obviously next to New York, but it was good a good experience to go there. I too. think you've had exposure to more systems than anyone else I've ever had on this Color Tour podcast. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I actually yeah. helped work the guy at Apple Color in the beginning. Well, there you go. Listen, Silicon Color. Just drop that money. They um, they came to me through my wife um, at through POP when we were working at POP, and it was I signed an NDA. It was super secret. I went to this hotel, and it was a node-based like flame. I get in there, folks. Yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, sorry. It's a good Sh story. Chicago. Yeah. So Chicago, back to. Oh, I forgot about here too, but Chicago on my way back to the state, LA. Um, we stopped in Park City, Utah, where my family had moved to. And um, I was freelancing. My wife got a job here and I set up shop at Filmworks Effects, which is still around in LA, put yeah. a room in there, could commute back and forth. Um, but in shortly after that, there was a company in Salt Lake City that had formed here called Huge Studios. And they were growing, had some great people in there. They had sound, editorial, and they were looking for color, but they weren't sure. One of the producers asked one of the other companies in town, why do you, why do you, do, why do, you do all your work here? And they said, well, because they have a colorist. Yeah. The other company, the, the oh. competing company, yeah. because they can do editorial and graphics, and by the yeah. way, they can do color. So then the producer at Huge Studios came back to me and said, we got to hire you because 
we're not, you know, this is this this is the, we did our research on what's going on in town, and you offer edit and sound, but we're still going to go to that other company because they have color. Yeah. If we can do it all in one shop, spot shop, we'll stick around. So then I set up a room at Huge Studios. We were trying to get Yellowstone for color because okay. it was being shot at the Park City Studios. Yeah. And as we were pushing to get it, the facility got busted for a $200 million Ponzi scheme oh. that was run by the owner of the company. Really? Selling silver. Oh. It's like silver, not he was selling silver coins, but it was a, a Ponzi scheme that he was someone from the, one of the churches in, in Salt Lake City and shut the company down. So I had a you know fantastic uh, hometown, Salt Lake City, growing company. We were talking about Technicolor to start doing some of their secondary work. And we were on the cusp to do Yellowstone and it shut down. Could have been good. Could have been good. Could have been really good. So now I'm freelancing, flying between LA and Park City doing work. You're working on one particular show. Um, and you do that remotely? How does that work? Does yeah, that work so it's now, yeah, we did the remote this season. So Tough as Nails, we did the first uh, four seasons in LA at my studio at Baked Effects. Yeah. Uh, I flew back and forth during the pandemic. And then this year, we set up a remote through Streambox to grade to New Zealand, which, as we tested it, worked fantastic. Uh, in reality, Phil was running around scouting and doing all the stuff that he does, and we ended up doing the job through Frame.io, kind okay. of. Yeah. Kind of, by getting my notes through Frame.io. Yeah. So we are ready to do a live stream on Fridays, yeah. and we didn't. Um, so the show ended up doing a Frame.io show. Um, that's the way that worked out. But during the pandemic, when we were baked in Washington, you could literally eat lunch in the middle of Washington Boulevard because no one no one drove down the street there. For yeah. the, you know, 10 weeks we did the show, it was so quiet, and it was shut down. Very bizarre and yeah. surreal, but the remote thing is a company like Streambox or anybody that has a quality kind of service is a really amazing tool set. I gotta say, it's it works. It can work really well. It looks really well. The latency's down to nothing, kind yeah. of thing. So it's if you yeah. can pull that off, it, it's it's not ideal, but it's not going to go away, is it? Well, it's not ideal because no. the the. The, the one apart, one of it that makes it better is if you're actually still interacting with your clients. Yes. Yeah. So that's the part of the streaming yeah. that can be. Yeah. Uh, it still makes it a reasonable, but you never. I can't send the company. Well, I could. I guess if there was even in their budget. I mean, a bigger shop will will pre-format everything. The monitors, the yeah. iPads, yeah. the calibration, they'll send an engineer, they'll set it all up. It's like a studio, part of their studio. Yeah. So on some level, yeah. at the high end, that you can do that situation, yeah. it can be, and as long as your clients are collaborating with you, it's not as nice to walk over the sh look over the shoulder and share a beer and talk about yeah, stuff. Yeah. It's never gonna be that way. But on that highest tier, it can be useful. It's useful now when you can't travel, and it's useful if you are able to find some clients from other locations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sydney to LA, or LA yeah. to Sydney, or yeah. wherever it is, so that, that's the upside. But it's still never gonna be as great as when you sit in a room with a client and make it work, because that's the most collaborative. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I agree, I agree. So what's the future for you, Crash? What do you see, uh, what do you see happening? <laughs> who knows? Uh, who knows? Uh, I'll do some skiing next year if the powder's yeah. as good as it was last year, yeah. this year. 
Um, you know, just to shuffle, probably some more um, social media stuff, or at least yeah. more online presence yeah. for me to try to be in it. I've been doing it a long time. Yeah, uh, that's going to be key. Um, and doing, accessing, actually accessing the remote grading because I think yeah. there's some underserved markets out there that yeah. you know getting to find them is a little harder. But actually, if you find them. I did a job out of Chicago for the Wisconsin Lottery uh, yeah. that was remote recently. It wasn't the best scenario, but it was a way to do a job that wasn't wasn't uh, local, yeah. someplace else other than yeah. LA. So, and just keep up with the kit, see what's going on with the new gear. That's always a shuffle. All right, mate. Well, it's been great chatting. You've had a very varied career at lots of different locations, and lots of kit. Uh, all the best for the future, and thanks for. Thanks for showing me around Park City. Like it's, uh, it's a really cool place. Nice. Thanks, Come on, come ski.